Okay, hello and welcome. Um, I'm joined today by Natalia, Daryl, and Ricardo to talk about the potential for digital health, particularly telehealth, uh, to improve health equity and reduce disparities in care. You know, so many of our problems with health equity in our city, in this country, um, you know, they start from unequal access to uh, bias in how care is provided and discrimination in care, uh, and to ultimately quality of care. It all it all points to worse health outcomes across the board for people of color, for the less well off. Uh, and when we have a disruptive event like COVID-19, which has already sparked widespread adoption of telemedicine, and when we have sort of a changing of uh, consciousness this spring and summer uh, with uh, protests, with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, it's natural to think that this could be an opportunity to uh, remake things, to make things better this time around. So I wanted to talk to our group about uh, how health IT, how digital health, how telemedicine could uh, could start to address these issues. Uh, you're right. I mean, COVID-19 really showed what the difference is and, you know, the healthcare disparities of certain communities, uh, those folks who, you know, have to continue going to work. Uh, or for whatever reason, have limited access to care, were really significantly impacted by COVID-19 compared to other communities. I mean, luckily, allegedly in New York, it's not as bad as in some other places, but it still caused a major issue. And I think it's something we, other than obviously we want to correct, but we want to be prepared for in the next pandemic. That hopefully won't happen. Yeah. Daryl? Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. You know, and, and I've been interested in, uh, in remote patient monitoring as well, which I think could help. Um, you know, that would be for also for chronic illnesses um, and possibly even for acute issues, issues like COVID as well. And Ricardo? Right. I think de- democratizing healthcare requires us to move to the next step. And I think smarter tech could be that next step forward to assist uh, remote diagnosis and data collection. I'm thinking of devices that can better interpret the data and assist in diagnosis rather than just collecting mass amounts of data. Nice. Yeah. It's uh, it's tempting uh, to kind of think that, uh, especially uh, given our skill set, that, uh, that more technology can help. But I'm thinking of uh, that UCSF study that was just published in uh, – New England Journal that showed as they ramped up telemedicine availability, they actually saw relative declines or declines in the relative proportion uh, of elderly and underserved populations that were using telemedicine. My sense is that they had before COVID some niche population that was you know comfortable with the tech and and they had kind of overcome their own barriers. But then when the floodgates opened and everyone had to use telemedicine, um, suddenly the the underserved populations the and the elderly, uh, their, their representation decreased. And so I wonder if we're just trading one set of barriers, like uh, barriers to in-person care, like mobility or insurance or you know ability to pay. We're trading it for another set of barriers, like 
tech savviness or having a device or having the right bandwidth? What do you guys think? Yeah, you know, and and I think hopefully some of these barriers are barriers that may be temporal. And, um, you know, the, the, the elderly's ability to leverage some of the, the technology needed to access healthcare remotely and also um, the bandwidth requirements um, in order to do a, a synchronous real-time video visit. Um, you know, maybe that's a, an initial barrier that we would see, but hopefully over time, uh, with adoption and training and learning, that may go away a little bit. Um, and also, we don't have to rely on, on those bandwidth-heavy solutions all the time, right? Um, it doesn't have to be things where we deliver a, a, a heavy app with, that requires a download or the traditional video visit that I mentioned that, that requires a lot of bandwidth. There are things that we can do with um, uh, lower touch and uh, less bandwidth to make it easier for the elderly populations and other populations to get introduced to remote care um, and then ramp up as, uh, as they like to. We actually have a couple of projects going that are giving out devices to patients that don't have access to their own in order to get health care. So we're really targeting more the, the individuals that might have chronic issues and really do need um, access to their clinicians, especially in this type of COVID environment. Um, so what we're doing is providing patients with either a device that's enabled with Wi-Fi if they have internet at home or with cell phone data if um, they don't have internet at home. This will allow them to you know, interact with our clinicians without having to go into the office. Um, but I, I think the challenge with that is that, you know, obviously requires funding to do this. Um, we do have grants for those particular projects, but you can still only hit so many people um, with that amount of money. I think the ultimate solve for that would be if infrastructure was really built out further um, by, by the government, most likely, so that anyone from in any city, any state can get free connectivity to the Internet. Um, that still might create sort of a challenge for devices, but at least it solves part of the problem. You can always get lower cost um, cell phone devices um, and hand, hand those out to the patients. And so you're you're referring to um, some FCC grants in particular that uh, that have been distributed. I think the FCC had a like two hundred million dollar program or something uh, for a lot of healthcare centers. Is that right? Yes, exactly. It was yeah. the FCC grants for that. Um, there are also some other ways that perhaps we can help aside from, you know, providing people devices. Um, we can leverage other technology as well. And for example, maybe a, a nurse chat that we could make available to patients so that they can get in touch with someone from, from anywhere. And certainly in particular, those with, with chronic issues. Um, so something like... Yeah the best comparison would be something like with the Amazon help chat. Um, but I think we would instead want to have um, nurses or someone assigned to individuals as well so that they can also reach out to those individuals and build up a relationship with the patients so that, you know, they don't feel as much like they're reaching out to a stranger and maybe will feel more comfortable interacting with people. That might be, you know, a bigger lift to accomplish, but we do have a population health team that is working on something like that. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like that 
that sounds a little bit like what uh, removing these barriers could look like. Uh, it's, you know, the the right amount of technology or as much technology as someone wants, <laughs> you know, if they, if they're savvy and capable and want to do apps and trackers and, and uh, video visits, they can, if they're just comfortable with chat or phone calls and frequent light touches and stuff like make that available and, uh, and just access to interpreters, access to bandwidth and, and uh, just making, making those things available to people, just like we have, uh, you know, ambulets and uh, accessoride and things like that to help people get to their appointments. Um, hospitals and the government can kind of make these tools, uh, this, this technology, and then the infrastructure available to, to those who need it. Nick, uh, we've also been looking at for to to assist with technical literacy in the elderly population that a lot of these services uh, uh, that tell, are, tell, tell me about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I'll repeat. Uh, Nick, to help with the technical literacy that affects some of the elderly population that we're hitting in in some of these venues. Um, we're also investigating um, services that have bare, simple uh, interfaces, childlike interfaces that have four or five buttons with uh, push here to take uh, blood pressure uh, reading um, and with no more complexity so that they are more likely to adhere to uh, to to a, a regimen of re- mm-hmm. uh, a daily regimen and um, and weigh in and as time evolves that literacy literacy will evolve in uh, as as technology comes more and more ubiquitous oh that's very cool i actually i didn't know about that but uh, it sounds like the, I mean, like we say simple interfaces, but honestly, that there's an appeal to uh, removing clutter and distraction, uh, especially if it's the kind of thing you're going to be using every day. Yeah, right. Um, and how about uh, outreach to, uh, like, we sometimes we talk about detecting people in need uh, or, or people that have... Uh, dropped off um how do we how do we do that uh, with technology would more technology help to identify these folks i think we can leverage ai to help identify those individuals that are you know that we're not keeping let me start over i think we can use ai to help identify those patients that are struggling, who maybe aren't in touch with us as much as we would like, it would help identify them. And then we can have either that AI itself reach out to those individuals, or perhaps that nurse chat that I mentioned, some some group that monitors patients, inform them that, hey, this person um, hasn't been in touch with us in a while, maybe we should reach out to them. I think reaching out to these people who are, you know, probably just not speaking to us, maybe it's, you know, could be a variety of reasons. Um, I think it would help reestablish a relationship with them. Yeah, just when we we've talked about having sophisticated AI that's like recognizing when an exacerbation of 
of chronic disease is about to flare up or something, but really simple things like, hey, we haven't heard from you. Um, do you need any help with your device? Uh, you know, you, you could have a human do that, or you can even automate it if you want to scale it. Yep. And that AI could also, like you mentioned at the start there, um, can take a look at any data. So if we're getting any feeds from them about um, their chronic health conditions, you know, whether it's from a blood pressure cuff or something else, some other smart technology, um, if we're noticing any issues with that, you know, certainly the AI can help flag that um, and either reach out to the person or have a human reach out to the person. So it can help with that as well. There's been a lot of steps taken to accommodate hardware integrations into the health telehealth call, right? For example, VC uh, has a kit that allows for stethoscope stethoscope readings through the video connection as well as the ability to send photos during uh, during the call. And more immediately, this seems more fruitful to me than uh, a lot of AI or machine learning. Hardware, for example, that can take safely, ac- safely and accurately mimic the office visit could should be an ideal worth pursuing. For example, um, you could have a, an attached or tethered device uh, through Bluetooth, let's say, um, that can that can allow that can hold on. Let me read that through you. Through your mobile app and attached Bluetooth or tethered device, I can foresee the doctor being able to review vitals and other deme- uh, and other on-demand measurements. Of course, traveling PAs and other credentialed techs should be able to perform all sorts of measurements off of a small suitcase, for example. Uh, they could take more precise readings than those that you would take with devices that folks take home and use themselves. I'm thinking of devices like the butterfly device here. The ultrasound. Um, right, right, the ultrasound. Okay. Right, um, where where I think AI could have an immediate reward, right? We always think of AI as first, or I do, as a predictive uh, technology. Uh, if you apply a lot of data to an engine, it will predict things. But more immediately, AI or machine learning, let's say, uh, could have devices that interpret imaging uh, right away, and we are starting to use that uh, image detection, so that uh, ocular screenshots, for example, and the, the attached cloud AI could interpret the content and insist in the uh, assist in the diagnosis. So you have like either. Uh a PA or a MA or, or uh, even the patient themselves capturing images and then the computer vision is uh, interpreting them and deciding whether to escalate to a physician or a care team or something. Is that right? That That's right. Mm-hmm. And we, we've started to uh, employ that in one of our hospitals uh, here in the city that um, that does this kind of work and assists in um, uh, – uh, insist in these kinds of diagnoses, but uh, we can take this further. Um, you know, what does that work look like, and uh, does it meet certain? Um, uh, uh, I'm losing quality my train standards? of thought. <laughs> quality standards, or like, uh, is it? Uh, is it? We could compare it to a gold standard or something like that. Right.
Okay, Daryl. Yeah, and you know, at, at Mount Sinai, we have um, we have remote patient monitoring programs, um, RPM, so that patients uh, can access healthcare remotely, right? And they also have challenges doing that as well. But at, at, at Sina, we try to provide multiple options for our RPM programs. And the primary goal is to create a patient experience that focuses on uh, the patient usability, enhances, enhances access, and increases patient uh, adherence. So to meet these goals, one thing we try to, to do is to deploy deeply integrated devices, right? These are devices that are pre-configured, um, they're shipped directly to the patient's home, and sometimes we can, if possible, we ship a data hub to carry the, the internet signals, to carry the patient vitals from their home to, uh, to Sinai. Um, and it's already pre-tethered, the device is already pre-tethered to that data hub. Um, and what this means is that the patient doesn't need to set anything up when they get those devices. Um, we don't need to um, rely or require the patient, rely on the patient or require the patient to have any technology or networking networking hardware in the house um, in order to to send their vitals uh, to us remotely. So the objective is to en enhance access, and hopefully that would lead to uh, increased adherence and uh, patient engagement. That's very cool. And you know, at the end of these podcasts, we usually do some kind of uh, hot seat. I ask people for their predictions where we'll be in a few years, but uh, it doesn't really feel right to do that here because we're really not in a great place now in terms of uh, health equity and uh, all these disparities in care. And uh, in a way, like we just got to keep working at it to make it better. Uh, whatever it takes. Um, but uh, Daryl, I want to give you the, the final word here. Yeah, you know, um, I agree. And, and, you know, the optimist in me says that technology will help solve these issues, but the realist knows that we have a lot of problems to overcome. Um, and our healthcare system, and some people say it's not really a, a system, it's so complex that it's, it's just a collection of components. Um, it's so complex that it's going to take a long time uh, for us to to overcome these challenges, right? Um, but the key is to make sure all members in the community and uh, the smaller health organizations that don't have the same access to technology as, as large organizations um, have a base level of technology that will help level the playing field. Um, and sometimes I, I think, um, similar to what Natalia was alluding to, that we should all have a base level of internet access. And I almost think of it as similar to a library model where, where people could go and get a book um, people should have a base level of access uh, for free to the internet, right? Just so the basic services are there, right, and can be accessed. But um, I know that that could be hard to make that happen. But um, and one other thing to point out is even once we change the um, or fix the issues on the provider side or the health system side, we also have to address the the patient side of the of it as well. And there's a certain amount of change management that would need to be done in terms of training and making the patients aware of how to use these systems. So I think there's things to be done on both sides. Um, but if used correctly, I think technology can help. Um, but I would just say there's still a lot of work to be done and, uh, and a lot of uh, processes and, and um, policies to think through. Ah, well said, but it, it's uh, a lot of work to be done, but it's it's like the best kind of work. Uh, the most necessary one. So I want to thank uh, Daryl, Ricardo, Natalia for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>